Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Barca Times Podcast. I'm your host, Jori Jankov, and today with me again are Alvin and Pulkit. And we're going to discuss the Juventus game that's just been passed uh, this uh, Wednesday. Um, also, or it was Tuesday. It doesn't really matter, to be honest, because uh, it was quite an awful game and everybody wants to forget about that. Uh, we're going to look forward to the Levante game over the weekend. And obviously also we're going to discuss uh, the questions that you've uh, asked us on the Twitter page. Uh, but first, uh, let's start with the Juventus game. And uh, Bukit, I'm going to go to you. Um, what do you feel was the most, let's say, um, biggest thing, biggest takeaway from you from that game? Yeah. Uh, so awful game for uh, every Barca fan who's alive right now. What a time to be alive, right? And very, very bad we played. The only good thing, the only good thing, and I'm sure every Barca fan will agree to uh, to this fact, is that Ricky Pooch played for 25 minutes. And he was the only good player on the pitch for us the entire game. I mean, he played for 25 minutes. He had 49 touches, 40 passes, 93% pass accuracy, two key passes, two out of two accurate long balls, one successful dribble, one tackle one, and four out of six duels one. I mean, he's still not good enough for Komen to start the game. What would have happened if he would have started the game? And just one more thing I wanted to mention. Ricky Puj now averages exactly two key passes per 90 for Barcelona in 2020. Only Messi, but 2.81 key passes averages more. And he has just played 17% of the available minutes this year for English Sofa score. So you would tell me, man, why is Pooj not starting and why we are playing so bad even after having such a great squad? I mean, that game was such a shambles defensively. The two defensive midfielders were not defending. We could not play out from the back. The way Juventus organized themselves when we attacked, you know, all men behind the ball. And we were so exposed uh, because we were playing so far up the pitch, so high up the pitch. We were so exposed defensively. I mean, it, the game could have been 4 or 5 nil also. I mean, and it was so bad. And he started Araujo, not Mingwesa, being so harsh on Mingwesa as well, although he came late on in the game. So, um, what, what do you think, Alvin? What was the good and bad and the ugly of the game? <clears throat> yeah, so usually when I review games... I try to separate the tactics and the individual players because um, sometimes even if the tactics are good, uh, the players might not have uh, a good a good individual game and vice versa. But with Barcelona right now, it seems as though players are having uh, individually bad games. It's, it's now a part of the tactics because now you expect... Uh, the defenders to make a mistake. You expect Lay and and Testegen and 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 whoever's whoever is the other centre back because injuries. You expect one of them to make a mistake and fumble and concede a goal. So it's almost now part of the tactics that no matter how golden um, the initial tactics are, it's all going to be messed up because someone is going to concede. So so that's troubling on its own, and who knows what the solution is other than you know getting a new center back um uh during during the transfer window to 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 plug that gap 
So that's one tactical issue. It's supposed to be an individual issue, but it's now almost tactical that will create uh, mistakes that will give the opposition a goal. Uh, the second issue is um, comparing this game with the first game that we played against Juventus. Um, Barcelona's uh, pressing was very inefficient. So we tried to press using a 4-4-2 when uh, Juventus were building out from the back, but they, were, they could easily pass around that because uh, Messi doesn't run that much. And so relying on simply two players to press at the front instead of R3, um, because if you remember in that first Juventus game, we used a 4-3-3 to sort of widen our press and limit their passing options and then transition to a 4-4-2 once they've managed to break through and, and enter our, our half. So that was sort of the start of all the problems. And then everyone was just tired and it was, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what was wrong because it just looks like the team is not inspired to play. Like they are not really interested in, in challenging for the ball, in, 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 in winning the ball back and counterattacking or anything like that. So I think we have an issue with the coach. Um, and that's difficult to sort out. Um, in the past few seasons, we've been able to place the blame uh, solely on um, the the players because we were, we were skeptical of their of their you know dedication and their performances. But now it's the coach as well, so that's something we'll have to um, to address. But uh, nevertheless, we have a game against Levante, and we have an opportunity to to get back some some on form and you know pick up some points so uh Pukit, um what how are we going to line up against uh levante and uh who what formation are we going to use uh, can you give us a clue so formation formation is a hard question because Koeman does not seem to change this 4-2-3-1 although I read on Twitter recently that players are wanting a change so he might go for it but since we have that game against Sociodal on Wednesday and then uh, we have that Valencia game as well so the schedule is tight so I believe against Levante he's going to rest some key players we might see Griezmann being rested maybe Messi also comes off the bench uh, not sure about that so I think he'll go with the 4-2-3-1 uh, Test taken in goal and uh, Furpo and Dest for this one as full backs because he might rest Alba. Uh, Minguesa and uh, Longley as the centre backs because Mkriti played awful and Araujo is just getting back to match sharpness. Uh, then Pianish and De Jong in the double pivot with uh, I would see Pedri and Trinka on the wings uh, and uh, maybe Braithwaite and Griezmann. Braithwaite um, as the number nine and just, uh, Griezmann behind him, maybe that's the uh, lineup he goes for. And he like plays like Messi come off the bench. Even though players will get a rest, I do not see Pooch starting this one. Let's not go too far. <laughs> Even if uh, you know Pjanic, Busquets, and De Young are rested, he will probably play Coutinho and uh, Pedri in the double pivot. But he will never play Alenia and Pooch in there. So let's not go that far. 
So that's my lineup. That's my that's I think according to me should be the formation in the lineup. Uh, what do you think, Juro? How would uh, Levante line up for this one at the camp now? <laughs> uh, you know when you <laughs> when you said about the he will probably play Coutinho and Pedri as a double pivot. Rather, everybody but uh, <laughs> Ricky Puig. I think that is uh, just yeah. You know, uh, um, people people following Barcelona and um, fans of Barcelona, they everybody's hoping to see Ricky Puig just getting a chance, getting an opportunity. Yeah, and, man. Uh, sure. I feel how I think only Ronald Koeman is kind of against him. He probably I don't know. He probably has some tapes about him or something. He said something bad and he recorded. I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> He comes off the bench and he is absolutely magnificent against Juventus. Touches the ball, he's uh, he has energy, he has uh, something different brings to the game. Yeah, and again, the intensity he brings on with him is unparalleled. I believe no other midfielder brings that intensity. The way he the, the way he reads the game, the, his awareness, and the way he looks for key passes for forwards, it is just amazing, and it's just a joy to watch. Oh wow. <laughs> Um, yeah. uh, that's that's only our opinion. Though Ronald Koeman obviously is going to put on the bench. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of Levante, um, they have uh, they are currently on a six-game uh, unbeaten streak. And um, well, when we say six games unbeaten streak, you're gonna guess that they're probably won three, drew a couple. Um, not really. They've uh, had five consecutive one-one draws in La Liga. Which I'm not sure, I'm not sure when I've seen that one before. Um, three of those games of the six games that they haven't lost, um, they had a red card. Um, no Levante, just uh, in the game there was a red card. So they they have the ability to adapt uh, in, inside those games and uh, they can change a little bit their shape. They can change a little bit uh, their approach depending on what the game is actually uh, requiring. Uh, in terms of their couple of their players, uh, I think we need to pay attention to uh, Jose Campania and uh, Morales, because Morales obviously is their top scorer with four goals this season. Uh, Campania had probably is their best player um, this season with a couple of assists, had a goal as well. So they, I guess we're not going to be, how to say, too scared about uh, Levante, uh, but still we need to approach that game with the the requisite respect, if you like, because uh, Levante, obviously, um, as I said, they are unbeaten in the last six, but they are currently sitting at 17th, so they are with 11 points, and um, people are going to suggest that they are not really uh, that much of a quality team. However, if they if they manage to win that game, uh, God forbid, <laughs> if they win that game, they're going to overtake Barcelona because of the direct uh, the direct games. So Barcelona's position in the league uh, currently at nine is not really a how to say a comfortable position for the team, and um, I think they feeling that that type of pressure of the results need to start uh, changing quickly for how to say for just the whole environment of the club. If you if you're uh, ninth in the league, if the results are not coming, so um, how to say to become a little bit more positive, if you like. As Alvin mentioned as well, the desire, the motivation is not really um, as we've seen before from different teams and um, just the general, uh, the feeling of the season is not like uh, Barcelona is ready to attack uh, La Liga, the Champions League or stuff like that. Just the whole mentality of the club is not 
at that level at the minute. So I think that could be a tricky, tricky game. And at the end of it, obviously, we we expect Barcelona to get the result in here. But um, with the current um, performances and the, especially the results in the last couple of uh, games against Cadiz and Juventus, I don't think it's um, how to say it's a given that Barcelona is going to take the result, but they definitely need to put the work in and uh, start proving the critics a little bit wrong because, um, how to say, the time is running out basically on the on the on the coaching staff, on the players, on most of the players. So it's a it's a tough position to play to play against those type of teams. Um, do you think, uh, Alvin, that? Um, in that game, Levante is going to approach it a little bit different, or you think it's going to, we're going to see again the the usual sit behind the ball and just pray to, to catch Barcelona on a counter attack? Yeah, I I don't think they'll change their approach because um, it, it, that's what they're good at, and especially against a team like Barcelona, your best chances to to stay back and and wait for them to attack and then make a mistake or give the ball away and then try to counter. Um, I just want to go back to the point you mentioned about um, their Levante's last six games. So they had five consecutive 1-1 draws and then a 3-0 victory. So what that tells you is, one, they can score a goal. So they have gone six games um, with a goal, at least one goal. So they can score. So they are not that team which when uh, put under pressure, they will struggle to score and we can beat 3-0 or 4-0. We can expect that, um, given our defensive frailties, they can try to get one goal. It's not a certainty, but um, they're a team that's used to scoring. Uh, secondly, the fact that they drew uh, 1-0 uh, five times in a row means that they are able to defend. Um, in some of those games, they were legit just fighting for the point because for them, that's good enough. Um, so it means that they can organize themselves and somewhat defend. Now, of course, those were weaker teams, but still, um, just sometimes having the, the mentality and the ability to, to, to keep a good shape for 90 minutes, um, that's impressive as well. So I think they are going to try and use that tactic to try and maybe get a goal on the counter and then just sit back and hope that Barcelona melts down. So we should be careful. But other than that, they are not a strong side overall. And if we rotate enough players and we bring in enough players who have energy and who are looking to impress Ronald Koeman, I think we're going to, we're going to score a narrow win, I would say. I think they're going to score. Um, but I think we'll score two or three. So in terms of predictions, I think um, we're going to win 2-1 because I think we'll have enough to overcome them, but they'll still be a threat. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, I've seen here that uh, we basically went for the pretty much similar scoreline. Um my reasoning behind the 2-1 win is uh, I'm not really convinced that we can get a clean sheet uh, pretty much against, I don't know, anybody at the minute. Um, I think that that defense have a mistake in them. Um, however, 
just the overall quality and the overall uh, how to say skill of the players that Barcelona has, I think is going to prove to be to be enough in that game. And um, that is the only that is the only reason why I'm why I'm going for a win for Barcelona because I cannot imagine uh, any other result than a win for Barcelona. I think is going to be conceded as a, as a disaster pretty much if uh, Barcelona doesn't win that game against Levante. Pukit, what is your prediction score? If we don't win, we're going to drop in the relegation zone. So let's avoid losing. And uh, I think uh, this will be different because I was I was also going for a 2-1. <laughs> but this will be different. I think we're going we're gonna to win with 3-1. I think a little more optimistic I am being. Uh, I think it will be 3-1 <clears throat> for us. But no clean sheet for sure. You're right. Our defense is not that good. So no clean sheet. <clears throat> Fair enough. Um, let's move on to the um, to one section here that is uh, we're going to pay attention to the uh, our competitors for. I was going to say the Liga, but we're not really sure <laughs> if we're actually fighting for the Liga. But let's say top four, if you like. Um, Atletico Madrid is obviously playing uh, Real Madrid uh, on the weekend. Huge game uh, for both teams. Real Madrid is uh, six points away from Atletico with a game more. So. Uh, do you guys feel that uh, Atletico Madrid, a possible win for them, is going to make them, let's say, the prohibited favourites to win La Liga? Or do you feel like the season is still not uh, that developed yet and uh, there is still some hope for the for the other competitors for that title? Uh, I definitely agree. Um, Atletico has won five games in a row they are they are flying um i think they have a better chance of winning than um than than excuse me i think they have a better chance of winning than madrid um to be honest they just seem like the team that can get it over the line um real madrid has been inconsistent so far like they will win and then they lose, then they draw, then they lose. It's 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 a mixture. And I think Atletico Madrid, even though they don't want to be considered as um favorites, uh so to speak, they are the favorites. So I think Simeone will play for a draw as sort of like the best um outcome. He won't want to lose against Madrid. I think he want a draw just to maintain that gap between himself and, and uh, Zidane. But I think they can actually go and win. So I think a draw will be like good for him, but then a win is a bonus. I don't see Real Madrid winning because unless, it's, of course, you know Zidane pulls out uh, one of his uh, uh, masterclass performances. Uh, but as far as I can tell, I don't think they're they're going to do much. Um, Pukit, maybe you have a different perspective. Yeah, I think um, in the Champions League, they were almost out. They needed that win against Mönchengladbach, right? And they got that win and they topped the group as well. Uh, and they were full of confidence going to, going into the Madrid derby. And I think Zidane, his job would be at risk, you would say. I wouldn't say he will get sacked if he loses the Madrid derby. But he will certainly be in the crosshairs then. And he has been in the crosshairs in the start of the season. So I think uh, 
Zidane will definitely push for a win. Zidane will probably have that masterclass that you talked about um, in the Madrid derby. And uh, Atleti will try their best uh, being defensive and not conceding and all of that. But I think it will be a 1-0 win for Real Madrid in this one. And Atleti will lose this one. And the one million streak will go. But doesn't change the fact that Atleti are still the favourites. They will remain the favourites still. Even if they lose the Madrid derby. Although they have a tough schedule ahead, they have Sociedad and Alves away and all these games. Or Atleti. But uh, I think it doesn't change the fact that they still are one of the favourites, if not the favourites. That's my take. Um, the interesting part in... Uh, you mentioned Real Sociedad in... Uh, they were... I'm not going to say they were considered favourites uh, at any point in the league, but they're, let's say, a nice, nice surprise so far in La Liga, uh, sitting second. The thing is, they they are coming off of five straight draws in all competitions. Obviously, they drew uh, against Villarreal in La Liga, they drew against Alaves in La Liga, and now they're coming up against uh, a bar at home. So, this is their last game before actually playing against Barcelona. I don't know, camp in um, midweek uh, next week. So this is a this is a opportunity for let's say Real Sociedad if they actually want to make a statement and uh, pull a little bit uh, pull a little bit more uh, on top of the league and just trying to challenge a little bit Atletico Madrid. I think those those type of games against Eibar against uh, Levante the week after. So I think they have a chance to stay there and to be uh, let's say relevant if you like. After that, we're not, we're not really sure how they're going to proceed with the uh, with the La Liga and what priorities they go, they're going to take. Is it going to be um, just focus on uh, Europa League and try to achieve a nice result in there, possibly trying to win the competition, or you're going to focus all of your power in actually getting to the Champions League and retaining that top four spot? So I think it's a, it's a pretty interesting um, few weeks of La Liga coming up. And... Um, just to wrap up the our section um, in our podcast today, we're going to go to the uh, audience questions. And um, the first question that we're going to ask is uh, for Alvin. Um, and that is, uh, that is coming from John Mayer, who is asking, the biggest myth is that we play with two uh, defensive midfielders. We don't. Those two defensive midfielders don't protect the defense at all. Why are we always exposed? What do you think? Uh, are those two defensive uh, midfielders really helping our defense? So that's a great what? question. That is such a great yeah. question. <laughs> Alvin, how do you feel about that? And do you think uh, the formation with the two defensive midfielders is the problem, or is more of the personnel? I I think it's a it's a fifty fifty between uh, the formation itself and the personnel. So if you have two defensive midfielders. There's nothing preventing you from uh, telling one of them to go forward. So essentially creating a pseudo 4-3-3. Remember, like formations are just formations on paper. When you transition from attack to defense to different positions on the field, you can give them different instructions. For example, you could actually play a 4-3-3 by asking one of the defensive midfielders to to advance and uh, play alongside the attacking midfield. So you sort of create a, a, a pseudo 4 3 
So like in like not... Ajax used to do when De Jong, De Ligt, and all of them were there. Like Ajax used to do with Eric Ten Hag, I think. Uh, that kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. So the, there's there's no limitation when it comes to the formation. Um. But then again, if you insist on playing someone like Busquets, um, it it then messes up that whole dynamic because he's not he doesn't have the pace anymore to to either you know remain behind as a sole defensive midfielder and cover the entire width on his own, or to go forward um, and and be useful in attack. So. If Ronald Koeman wants to play 4-3-3, that's okay. If he wants to play with a double pivot, that's okay. But I think he should start playing Pjanic as the number one um, uh, defensive midfield and then have Busquets as an alternate. Um, it seems to me that this, the same issue is happening as well with uh, in the left in the right back position, sorry, where Dest, who's clearly the better right back. Um, is still number two to uh, to Sergio Roberto, and to me it seems like an issue of seniority. Where uh, because Sergio Roberto is a captain, he gets to play ahead of um, Dest, even though Dest is the better player. So there's nothing we can do about that as fans. You know, we can just watch, but it's a mistake to use seniority as a uh, as the way to pick players instead of using their their ability, especially when we're not so good. Just to cut you, do you think that's why Pooj is not getting minutes in the midfield? The same reason, the seniority thing. I think it's half that and the fact that, you know, um, that Ronald Koeman is blind. Is, that's yeah. blind. Yeah, that's, that's the other half. <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh, yeah. I think it's an ego thing. Like, I think when Koeman uh, arrived, at Barcelona, he thought he was going to be able to just um, fire everyone and just, you know, like completely change the team and tell everyone to go away and stuff like that. Um, but then you soon realize that there are limitations to that ability, um, you know, in terms of money and um, if any other teams want our players. So when he told, um, you know, Pooch to seek a loan, he thought that, you know, he was just going to reorganize the team and send everyone packing and all that sort of stuff. But in reality, that's not what happened. And so now, you know, swallowing that pride and, you know, actually playing Pooch and giving him significant minutes, that can be difficult. Um, but there are, I wouldn't want to say it's, it's a personal issue only because there are other things like, you know, seniority and the fact that... um Ronald Koeman prefers uh, playing with a double pivot, so he might not have use for push uh, in that particular formation. Um, but yeah, all the problems point to Ronald Koeman. Um, there are many, many ways to skin the cat in terms of how to play, but it seems he keeps choosing the wrong ones. So I wouldn't say I have anything against the double pivot per se, but um, the way in which he's deploying it is just not working. So, yeah, John Mayer, um, we're not satisfied either uh, with the way the double pivot is being used. And, yeah, it's not really helping us um, because it's not being used um, efficiently in terms of tactics and in terms of personnel. So you're right to bring that up. 
Thank you. The second question is coming from uh, Subida Deore and uh, Pukit, I'm going to ask you to take your time. It's an absolutely beautiful question for you. What exactly is going on in Barcelona's team at the moment? Uh, that is a beautiful question and that's a long answer. So I'm going to take my time for it. So I think uh, there are a number of factors that are, won't, I won't say going wrong, but a lot of factors that are probably the reason that we are not um, playing well on and off the pitch. I think there are reasons, for instance, there is a wage bill that, that is being cut. So agreement between the club and the players for that is happening. It's I think it's now it's agreed 100%, but you know, like the time and all of that uh, went into all of, uh, all of this. That's a factor. Then the messy saga, leaving, staying or not, uh, all of that was there. Then uh, I read recently, like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast as well, that players are now concerned about Komen's tactics and his 4-2-3-1 formation. They know that it's not working, so why don't change the formation in a 4-3-3 or something different or the playing style so that we can win games because we've had such a terrible start to the season. Uh, and that win, uh, that lose, uh, loss against uh, Juventus, just you know, for just one of the major talking points. Also, our performance was so bad in that. So I think a lot of factors, and of course the elections, not to mention uh, on what's going to happen with the club in the future and everything. So a lot of tension is there in and around the dressing room, and it's visible on the pitch as well. You know, you see Messi also frustrated. Um, at times in between the game, you, the camera when focuses on his face and everything, you notice that. So it's very clear that players aren't happy as well, maybe with Komen, maybe with the way things are at the club also, the way the club is being run and everything. So a lot of things translate to our results and performances. It's not just Komen, I won't blame him or the players or the psychology. It's a lot of combination of different factors, I would say is the reason that our things are not going well in the team at the moment. And we don't know what will ha- happen in the end of Chan and whether Koeman will stay or not. A lot of things. So, yeah, that's why it's not a good time to be alive, to be a Barca fan. Uh, so, yeah, the next question is uh, from Brak Respo. He asks, I'm going to go with you, go with uh, Joro. Uh, for this one and we have talked about Ricky Pooj a lot and this is the third time in the in the episode we are mentioning the question is about Ricky Pooj only can Pooj uh, um, get some time in Komen's selection process what do you think Joru? Well I'm gonna I can answer the question both ways I can answer it uh, quickly and I can answer it just a little bit uh, more of an explanation to my answer uh, the quick answer is no he can't and uh, the explanation about that is that I don't have one I have no idea why he cannot uh, actually get I don't sniffed. think God knows. I don't think God knows. It's not your fault. I don't think God knows why he, he's not playing. <laughs> well, uh, to be quite honest with you, there is a couple of things that probably are in Kuman's head when he tries to pick a team. And that is uh, give, a, give a chance to the more experienced players to actually hold the midfield and help in attacking in defense. Possibly helping in defense is his uh, main idea. Uh, and then, obviously, in attack, you have enough talent to create whatever you want, basically. But the one thing that I don't understand completely is uh, the reluctance of actually him trying to adopt a different type of formation. And uh, I'm not necessarily speaking about the uh, what Barcelona fans are crying out for, and that is the 4-3-3, and let's bring it back to the old days. 
But in that type of formation, I think you can accommodate uh, three midfielders that you actually have in the team. That being, the, you can pick and choose a combination between uh, Pjanic, De Jong, Busquets, uh, Alenia, you have Puch, you have people that can also play in there. Pedri has been tried in there as a double pivot, but he doesn't want to play him as a part of a, a three in the midfield. So I think he's a, let's say, stubbornness from uh, Kuman to actually try and understand what the players that he has and how he can actually make them fit under the right formation and not him deciding the formation and then trying to fit those players into his plans. Because that can actually work and pretty much is uh, working everywhere in the world if you look a new manager comes in and he brings his own ideas and he tries to fit the players in there. Unfortunately, Barcelona doesn't have the um, the maneuvering ability to offload the players that he doesn't like and to bring new players in so, they, so the, his actual ideas can work. So he's basically stuck in the moment and uh, I'm going to say it again. If he wants to actually feel the support of the fans and uh, to somebody to stand behind him and be like, hey, this guy actually has a couple of ideas. Let's see what he does. This is the the perfect time to bring those young players in. See what they can give you. And say, okay, we've tried it for the beginning of the season. Double pivot. Uh, we've played with uh, 60,000 strikers. It doesn't work. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. But try to change something. You know what I mean? He's only trying to change the personnel rather than the approach. So every time we see Ricky Puch comes onto the field, everybody is like, well, why, why is that guy not playing? And um, answers to this question we still don't have. And um, I think we're not going to have for a bit. Uh, I hope he gets his chance against uh, Levante. And I'm, I'm sure that wherever he is uh, appointed as a starter and he actually gets a run of games, I th- we're gonna we're gonna see what he's capable of, and I think Ronald Koeman is gonna stand uh, corrected on his opinion of Ricky Puig, at least in the beginning of the season. Um, and the, the final question is asked by Raji, and that is uh, why can't Koeman adopt a 4-4-2 diamond formation? And uh, <clears throat> obviously, I'm gonna go to all of you guys for that, but my quick thoughts on it is that. I have a feeling that uh, Barcelona, the board, and the, just the, the general environment around the club doesn't really want to approach uh, new things in terms of uh, formation and a style of play. So we always knew that the 4-3-3 works, but it works in uh, certain type of situations. I, I, I can assume that uh, a formation with Griezmann, uh, Messi, and a striker, probably bright fight, that will work as a 4-3-3. You have enough creativity and you have somebody to finish. But we've not seen that. And we've also not seen anything different than the 4-2-3-1 that Ronald Koeman wants to play. So it's just been absolute uh, uh, stagnation, if you want. It's just the same thing with different players trying to trying to see who can actually execute his ideas and plans. But on the other side is, if we actually try to change a 4-2-2 uh, sorry, 4-4-2 with a diamond. This is something that is not being done in Barcelona for quite a while. So what happens if it actually doesn't work? I think the the let's say the feedback that he's going to receive on that from uh, from fans, from the board, from the players, uh, I think is going to be not that positive, and that's why I feel like he's not really 
trying to trying to switch formations and change formations and do do multiple things and different things with his uh, with his match and team selection. Um, I, I think it's more of that. I think it's more of the how the club is uh, how the, the club has been brought up and what the ideas of the club is: the possession football, the attacking through the flanks. Although the four-four-two diamond um, with those uh, wing backs that you have, uh, Jordi Alba and Serginho Dest, is uh, is something that for me is just a no-brainer. I think it, it, it could work, and you have definitely the personnel that on the pitch to make it work. So I'm not really sure why it's not being tried so far. What do you guys think about that, Alvin? Do you feel that uh, a change of formation, especially a diamond, uh, would work in Barcelona? Um, well, here's an interesting fact. Um, in his first ever managerial uh, season, uh, it was in the 1999-2000 uh, season, uh, with a team called Vitesse Arnhem in uh, in the ne- in the Netherlands in the Eredivisie. Uh, Ronald Koeman used a 4-4-2 diamond, so that was his first ever formation. However, in the following 16 seasons, he never used that specific. Uh, formation again. He did go back to the 4-4-2 um, about five more times, but he never used the diamond. So, what can we tell from that? I don't know. Does that mean he doesn't like it? Maybe. Or that maybe he's going to try it? Who knows? But from what I can tell from Ronald Koeman, once he tries something and he doesn't like it, or once he tries something and he likes it, he usually sticks to his opinion. So I don't think we're going to see a 442 diamond anytime soon. He hasn't used it in a very, very long time. And he doesn't like the 442 formation in general. Um, I think we have a better chance of seeing the 433 because that's the formation he's used the most throughout his career and is most likely to go back to that. Um, and as I've said about the 4231, that's the formation he's most recently used at Everton and Southampton. So I think we're more, we're more likely to see a 4-3-3 than a 4-4-2 diamond. And it just has to do with his personality. Um, with Ronald Koeman, you have to really study his personality and the way he, he made decisions. Um, and all this information is, is from the thread I made on his career. And uh, when I was making this thread, I would look at each season and look at the formations he played in every game. So what I wanted to tell was what was going through his mind. So let's say they go through a a four-game winning streak and then he decides to change his formation. What does he revert to? And what I realized is that uh, in those moments where uh, things got tough, he would rely on the 4-2-3-1 formation. So it's not a surprise that that's what he's playing. So for those who are waiting for him to, you know, play something like a 4-4-2, uh, I don't think he's going to do it. Um, it. what do you think? Uh, I think it's an, that's an interesting take uh, from both of you that 4-4-2 has not been done in the club and Komen, knowing his personality, will never do it also. I think uh, formations are, you know, like within the game, in the modern game, if you see, formations change within the game a lot. For instance, when a team is like, attacking, maybe it's Liverpool or City or whatever, okay, they'll play with a 4-3-3, they'll be pressing high up the pitch for the opposition and, uh, uh, you know, 
um, try to score and you know just uh, not let, let them have the ball just half possession and try to break through and score a goal but when they are being attacked by the opposition their formation changes they play maybe a 4-4-2 not a diamond but a normal 4-4-2 uh, with the two defensive lines of four um, and you know like that even you see atleti when they are defensive it's an 11-0 formation almost all men behind the ball and when they attack the formation changes to a 4-3-3 or something like that you know so i think formation within the game how the team is playing and how they're facing the opposition i think it changes so in that regard maybe we can try like we tried in juventus uh, at the interior against juventus when we were attacking juventus our formation was 4-3-3 when they attacked us we were 4-4-2 i guess last time also we were discussing this so something like that you know uh, then maybe we can try different sorts of formation but uh, yeah 4-4-2 i don't think uh, would work a 4-3-3 barca formation would still be an option like you said but i don't think 4-4-2 although we have the personnel like you mentioned i i, I mean i would go with the de jong in the as the dm pedri and puj as the two midfielders with messi ahead and up front would be griezmann and trinka or griezmann and breathwaite maybe like that in the midfield and the attack something like that you know we do have the personnel so uh, it can work of course uh, but uh, knowing komen and knowing barca <laughs> i don't think they will go for it but never you never know like the new president whoever comes in and what's their idea of the club and what what with whoever the manager is at that time what's his idea so let's see what happens then but not for now yeah that's my take <clears throat> so basically for everybody that wants to see ricky puch or a change of formation or something different wait a little bit more <laughs> that's what uh, ronald comes going to tell to you basically Um so if nothing nothing needs to be added up and um everybody's happy with that we're going to close up the podcast here thank you guys for listening um thank you for submitting your questions as well uh we're going to obviously promote again the next before our next episode of the podcast so you can ask your questions once again and we're going to aim to answer most of them on the on the next episode thanks for listening and we're going to see you next time